When you step out in ministry, there will be some suffering that goes along with it. Here's Pastor Jim Gallagher. In any area of ministry, it comes with this, there's just suffering, there's just hardship. We have to say, I'm going to embrace that. I'm going to do that. It doesn't matter how difficult it is. It doesn't matter how time-consuming it becomes. If I'm going to do what God has called me to do, I've got to embrace that, and I've got to do it. This is amazing grace. Hey, thanks for hanging out with us. This is Abounding Grace with Ed Tanner. All week long, we're starting a series of messages given recently at our Refresh Ministry Conference. And today, you'll be hearing from Pastor Jim Gallagher at Calvary Chapel, Vero Beach. He's going to outline what ministry is all about with Colossians chapter 1 as our reference point. I kind of want to address the subject in our time together of what is ministry all about? What is this thing that we're doing all about? And to do that, I want to look at an autobiographical passage in the book of Colossians where Paul kind of tells us his view of ministry, what, how he views ministry. It's Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to pick up at uh, verse 23, and we'll be making our way through verse 29. So Colossians 1 We'll go from verses 23 through 29, and I'm going to make five points or draw five things from the text. Here's our first point. Ministry is about serving others. Ministry is about serving others. Take a look with me at the end of verse 23. Where are we looking? All right. Verse 23. At the end, Paul says, I, Paul, do you see it? I, Paul, became a what? A minister, a servant. Jump over to verse 25. Of which I became a what? A minister or a servant. Now, the, the word Paul uses here, it's, it's the Greek word um, diakonos or diakonos. It's the word that we get the word deacon from. Deacon is a non-translated word. Um, and if we were to translate it, we would use the word minister or the word servant. And so when Paul is looking at, at this thing that we call ministry, Paul is describing it with this word diakonos or, or servant. Now, this word, it's not a Bible word. It's become a Bible word. If you use the word deacon today, that's pretty much a Bible word. But it was not a Bible word. It was a word stolen from common Greek vernacular. In other words, Paul wanted to paint a picture about what he viewed this thing called ministry, how he viewed it, and he took this word from the Greek language. It would draw a picture in the mind of first century readers of what they were getting themselves into when they responded to that call of God to join in ministry, the word diakonos. Now, there are several words in the Greek language that would carry an idea of servanthood. Um, you could choose from different sort of areas of life. You could choose high words 
that came from like the temple. And so service that took place in the temples in the various forms of worship in Greek idolatry, there, were, there was a word for those guys that served. And Paul could have picked that word. He could have gone to the Senate and he could have gone to that, the political platform. We, in fact, even today, we refer to our political leaders as public servants. And there was an actual Greek word that would be used to describe a person that served in that capacity. It was a very high word because that was a very honorable position. But instead, Paul went to the common people and he took a word that would be really looked down upon in Roman and Greek culture. The word diakonos, because it was a word that means to attend to the affairs of another. It means to, it means to run errands on, uh, on behalf of someone else. Or most commonly, it would be used in the idea of like waiting tables or serving others. And so Paul says, when I look at the ministry, this thing that I'm called to, he says, I view myself as a servant. This is something that, that Jesus taught. Jesus viewed himself as a servant, didn't he? He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And Jesus set up a kingdom. His kingdom is different than any other kingdom. In fact, if you, if you remember um, the, the storyline of the book of Daniel, one of the main storylines of the book of Daniel is that God's setting up a kingdom that is different from all the kingdoms of the world. And in that kingdom, it has an entirely different value system. And Jesus said that in his kingdom, servanthood is, is one of the highest value commodities within his kingdom. And so Paul says, I am a servant. And the idea of ministry, because this word diakonos, it was stolen from common Greek vernacular. But then, it, so it gave a picture what it means to serve. But then there's a whole uh, concept developed within Scripture that the idea is that we are serving those that are within the family of God. That's what it means to serve. In Philippians, you, you remember the storyline in Philippians. Paul is in prison. He's facing the reality of the possibility of execution, but he's thinking that likely he's going to be released. And he makes this statement. He says, he says, if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and the service of your faith, I rejoice. If I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. Paul considered himself a drink offering. Now, in the Old Covenant, a drink offering was an offering that accompanied other offerings in order to make those other offerings sweeter or better. You wouldn't bring a drink offering by itself. If you brought a drink offering by itself and you poured it onto a fire, what happens? You just put the fire out, right? The drink offering accompanied another offering. So you have this burnt offering, Romans chapter 12, where, where Paul alludes to the burnt offering and he says that we are to present ourselves as living sacrifices. And so Paul says how he viewed the church in Philippi that he was ministering to. He says, I recognize that each and every one of you is a burnt offering. You're giving yourself over to the Lord. And here's how I view myself. I view myself as there to assist you to become the offering that God wants you to become. That's ministry. Now, years ago, um, 
I was two years into pastoring the church that I pastor now. We've been there 23 years, so you can do the math. I'm two years in, so I've pastored that church for two years. Prior to that, I was on staff at Calvary Costa Mesa for nine years. I was uh, eight of those years, I was a Bible teacher in the schools, and one year I was as an intern, and, uh, and then I served as a volunteer for three years prior to that. So if we add up all the math, that's 14 years of ministry. And I was sitting in my office one day, and I had an epiphany. I had this aha moment. And I picked up the phone, and I called one of my closest friends, and, uh, and I called him, and I said, I think the Lord just spoke to me. And he said, what? Like, what did the Lord speak to you? And I said, I think ministry is about people. <laughs> the phone went silent. Like, I thought the line got cut. And, uh, and after a long pause, he said, what did you think it was about? And I said, I really have no idea. I have no idea what it... Now, now thinking back on that now... I think what I thought ministry was, was just doing whatever Jesus told me to do, which is a part of ministry, right? Just obedient. Jesus said, witness, why so witness? Jesus says to serve, so I serve. Jesus says to, 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 you know, calls me to teach, so I teach. But I had this realization. I was like, no, 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 no. It's about people. It's about bringing people into a relationship with Jesus and helping them develop. So however you're serving, whatever that looks like, whatever your area is, your responsibility is your servant. And your service is to help other people become who God has called them to become and to do what God has called them to do. Paul says, I am a drink offering poured out on the sacrifice and the service of your faith. Let's look at the second thing. Our second point, you're going to love this one too, um, is is ministry is about suffering for the sake of others. Let me say that again. Look for the bad word in the sentence, okay? Ministry is about suffering for the sake of others. What's the bad word in that sentence? Suffering. You know the Bible's full of bad words, right? There's, there's this one phrase, we like to use it as a charge, fight the good fight of faith. You know that verse, right? Fight the verse, good. I hate that verse. Okay, and, and here's why. I, I hate the fact that, that following Jesus and serving Jesus has to be compared to fighting. I would way rather that verse read, rest in the hammock of faith. Okay, wouldn't that be awesome? If, I mean, it'd be wonderful if, if, that, if, if that's what serving Jesus could be compared to. But the reality is it's not. There's challenges. And so, and so Paul's going to suggest to us that what this thing that we do called ministry is, is it's, it's about suffering for the sake of others. Let's look at his terms. Verse 24, Paul says, now I rejoice in my what? Suffering. And I'm suff I rejoice in my suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. That's an interesting statement. Paul says, I'm rejoicing in the suffering that I'm in, in, enduring right now, and I am filling up in my flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Jesus. 
Now, when, when I use the phrase sufferings of Jesus or, or the afflictions of Christ, what is your mind instantly drawn to? It starts with a C and it ends with a Ross. Okay? You're, I mean, that, that's the implication. Paul is referring to the affliction that Christ endured upon the cross. And then Paul uses this phrase. He says, I'm filling up in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, Christ's suffering on the cross was completely efficient in providing salvation. That's absolutely clear. Um, that's clear from the words of Jesus, and that's clear from the teaching of the epistles. It's clear from the preaching of the apostles recorded in the book of Acts. It's clear the work of Christ accomplished the work for salvation. Jesus said the night before his crucifixion, speaking to the Father, he spoke um, of the fact that he, was, he had fulfilled that work that God sent him to. And on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished, referring to the work of salvation. So that, that, that from heaven's standpoint, um, there is nothing standing in the way of any person receiving eternal life. The only thing really standing in the way of an individual and eternal life is the individual themselves. That's it. If they'll surrender to Christ, they're saved. He's accomplished the work. So what does Paul mean when he says, I am adding to what was lacking in Christ's sufferings? He's talking about the fact that in order for the Colossians to have heard about Christ and grow in him, Paul had to endure some suffering that Jesus never went through. When, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you remember that passage where he reluctantly kind of tells about the difficulties he went through? And he talks about being shipwrecked. Was Jesus ever shipwrecked? He, ta he talks about perils of robbers. Did Jesus ever get jumped and robbed? You understand, like there were things that Paul suffered so that people could hear about Christ um, it, it, he's adding to the afflictions of Christ. And so in ministry, we have to be willing to embrace and endure whatever challenges or whatever suffering comes with serving Jesus. Now, again, I think that both Ed and Brady last night did an excellent job of presenting sort of the common challenges that we're all facing right now, that we just have to say, I am willing to endure those things. I'm willing to embrace those things, and I'm going to keep serving Jesus. But we also have to be willing to just endure what are the particular difficulties or hardships that are associated with doing the thing that God has called you to do right now. Let me try to illustrate. A couple of, a handful of weeks ago, I, I went to one of the young guys on our staff. He'd finished our intern program. He's just come on in a staff position at our church. He teaches a couple of times a month in the youth ministry. He's 19 years old. And I felt like it was time for him to embrace a big challenge. And so I invited him to fill the pulpit on, a, on our midweek Bible study. So that's a, that's a big challenge that he's stepping into. And the moment that that challenge was presented, he had to be willing to, to embrace whatever suffering would go with that. He had to be willing to embrace time management. But the moment that I asked him to do that, it was about three weeks prior, his next three weeks were going to look different. He was going to be spending a whole lot more time 
praying and considering, God, what would you have me to, to share? And studying and getting to know the scriptures and then, and then dealing with all the emotions that come with standing in front of a, people, a group of people that are way older than he is, have been walking with the Lord way longer than he has, and to walk them through the passage of scripture. He had, had to be willing to embrace that. In any area of ministry, it comes with this, there's just suffering, there's just hardship. We have to say, I'm going to embrace that. I'm going to do that. It doesn't matter how difficult it is. It doesn't matter how time consuming it becomes. If I'm going to do what God has called me to do, I've got to embrace that and I've got to do it. Let's look at the third thing. Our, th our third point is ministry is a calling. Ministry is a calling. Look at what Paul says in verse 25. He says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you. The stewardship from God that was given to me, and it was given to me for your sake. Now, this word stewardship, it's a, it's a compound Greek word. It, it, it's two root words. Um, it's the word for house. And then the word for law. So it's a word that literally means house law. And it carries the idea of a person who is given the responsibility to care for that which does not belong to them. A good illustration of that is in the Old Testament, you remember the story of Joseph. And Joseph is, is sold into slavery. He's purchased by Potiphar. And Potiphar sees his giftings. And so over some time, the Bible doesn't give us the length, but over some time, Joseph is given the responsibility to care for all that belongs to Potiphar. He's the steward of Potiphar's home. All of the resources that Potiphar has are at Joseph's disposal in order to care for the property of Potiphar. And Paul is saying, listen, I, I have been given the responsibility to care for that which does not belong to me. I'm caring for the household of God. I'm caring for the people of God. His resources are at my disposal to do it, but I'm caring for the house of God. Now, th this, he says, this is something that was given to me. You can't take that upon yourself, can you? Like, you can't just go over to your neighbor's house and start grabbing their stuff and start rearranging their furniture and changing their house around. Like, you can't do that. This is a position that has to be granted to you. There's a calling associated with it. And so ministry is about the call of God. God has a call upon our lives. One of the, the in Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul speaks about the fact that we've been saved by grace... And then he talks about the fact that when we put trust in Jesus Christ, we, 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 we are created again. In 2 Corinthians, he calls it a new creation. And he says that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works that God foreordained that we should walk in. The basic idea of that is God has a plan for your life. He has a calling upon your life. And we, we, ministry is when we step into that calling. We say, okay, Lord, this is what you would have for me. And I step into it. The, the question that I would ask is, how do we recognize the call of God on our life? You know, if you go through the, you go through scripture and you see time and time again, character after character in the Bible, and they have a call of God on their life. And some of them are pretty dramatic, right? 
I mean, you think about Moses and the call of God on his life. And he sees a bush on fire, not being consumed. And he walks up to the bush and the bush starts talking to him. That's pretty dramatic, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's thrilling and exciting and unforgettable. Or I think of Gideon. Gideon's hiding in a cave and the angel of the Lord shows up in the cave and speaks to him. Or I think of Isaiah. And Isaiah has this vision. And he sees, it's not a vision like we often use today where we have some vision. Like, like I'm thinking maybe we should do this. Or, or I can kind of see where we're planning on, on heading or, or what we're moving towards. But he has the movie reel playing in his mind where he actually sees the throne room of heaven, God upon the throne, the angelic beings in worship around him, and he hears the voice of God calling him. Can I suggest two things to you? Thing number one is, well, three things. Thing number one is these callings are not the common calling. Okay, so I'm not sure that we should expect those. Number two, these callings are not replicable. In other words, in other words, I'm not expecting that, that the bushes in my backyard are going to catch fire and God is going to start speaking to me, okay? Number three, I would suggest to you, I have very little interest in ever having a calling like that. Like I would be happy, I'm happy going through life partially for this. Imagine if we, we fly home Monday, let's say Tuesday morning, I go out into my, back, my backyard and one of the palm trees is on fire and I walk up to it and God speaks to me from the palm tree. What's going to happen when I tell that to my church? Think anybody's going to come the next week? Jim's lost his mind. Okay, so you get the idea? I mean, these, these are these strong callings, but is that what we should really be looking for? I think of a couple passages where I think we can learn how to recognize the call of God. Number one, I think of Acts chapter 13. That's a story where we have five individuals from, an, from, a, from a church, a church in Antioch in Syria. These guys have a general call upon their life. It's the same general call that we have. Take the gospel to the whole world, make disciples of anyone that comes to faith in Christ, and equip people to serve the Lord. They have that same calling that we have. But now they're, they're together trying to figure out specifically how do we fulfill that call. And here's what they do. They get together and they fast and they pray and they seek the Lord. And we're not told in the text how long they did that for. We're not told that if, hey, every Tuesday we're going to fast and pray and seek the Lord. And they did it for six months. We're not told that, that maybe they fasted for a week. And during that whole week, they were fasting and praying at the end of the week. We have no idea the length of time. All we know is what they did. They set aside time to seek the Lord. You want to know what call God has upon your life? Or you want to know what part you play in fulfilling the general call of God in your life? Get alone with the Lord. Seek His face. Just be asking, God, what would you have me to do? Well, we've been learning what ministry is all about today on Abounding Grace. It involves serving others, suffering for the sake of others, and it is a calling. Today's message was from Pastor Jim Gallagher of Calvary Chapel, Vero Beach, and part of our recent Refresh Conference. You can hear all four messages given at the conference in their entirety at the Calvary Church app or go to AboundingGraceRadio.com. 
And we also hope you can join us next year in the fall when we'll again be having a refreshed conference at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Suffering is Never for Nothing by Elizabeth Elliot. Maybe you never realized this before, but there is a link between suffering and love. God's love for us is evidenced in the sending of Jesus to carry our sins on the cross. He faced the ultimate pain of suffering, but through it all, won the victory on our behalf. This truth has led Elizabeth to say, whatever is in the cup that God is offering me, whether it be pain and sorrow and suffering and grief, along with the many more joys, I'm willing to take it because I trust Him, because suffering is never for nothing. Request a copy today by calling 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it through our e-store at calvaryco.store. We have one more message to share with you from the Refresh Conference, and it's from Pastor Joshua Taylor. We'll have that for you tomorrow on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.